Welcome to the Fire Safety Matters podcast, where we bring you the latest news, views and opinion from across the UK's dedicated fire industry. My name is Brian Sims and I'm the editor of Fire Safety Matters magazine. We're delighted that this podcast is sponsored by the Fire Safety event, which will run at the NEC in Birmingham on the 22nd and 23rd of September 2020. To register for this show, visit www.firesafetyevent.com. I'm joining this podcast by Western Business Media CEO, Mark Sennett. Good morning, Mark. Morning, Brian. Really delighted to be here. Hopefully everybody enjoy what we've got lined up for them. You know, I think when we launched this magazine three years ago, if you told me I'd be doing a podcast and I'd be doing it with you, uh, I'd have been very surprised. But, you know, delighted to be working with you again. Thrilled you take it over as editor. And, you know, we've got some good fun things planned here and we really hope that people can take away some key learnings from this. And for those that don't know, we'll be dropping this podcast every fortnight on a Wednesday. So, Brian, could you just tell us a little bit more about the format of what we've got lined up? Yes, the format for each podcast will be four news stories, four of the latest news stories from the industry, followed by a couple of interviews with heavy hitters from the industry, uh, key principals and, and practitioners. So, Brian, who have we got lined up on this inaugural episode of the podcast? Who are we interviewing today? We're interviewing Paul Pope on the manufacturing side and also talking to Warren Spence on the legal side. And Warren's discussion is around the fire safety bill. Yeah, there's a lot of big news happening this week and it's very topical because obviously Paul is new in post at Global Fire Equipment, uh, having been in the sector for over 20 years and is an FIA director. And Warren, in fact, uh, has been around a long time too, although he probably won't appreciate me saying it. He's actually prosecuted more cases under the fire safety order than anybody else in the UK. So, Brian, should we get straight into it? Do you want to tell me, you know, what news stories have caught your eye this week? Well, one of the major outcomes of the COVID-19 pandemic, of course, uh, that's gripping the world at the moment is that the fact that the industry's major events have all been moved. Um, of course, the security event and the fire safety event were due to run this month, uh, run by 19 Group. They've been moved back to September, 22nd and 23rd of September, of course, at the NEC in Birmingham. And also the IFSEC International and Forex International exhibitions, which were due to run in May at London's XL, they've also been pushed back to September. I think both shows, as far as the 19 group are concerned, the security events and the fire safety event, both shows are twice as big as they were in 2019, which is great news. Uh, they've also enjoyed record-breaking pre-registration numbers, which is also good news, of course. I think the feedback from the industry on this, Mark, interestingly, has been uh, very positive. I think for its part, the 19 group has been positive in affording the market clarity during what are very uncertain times for the business landscape, of course. Um, and there's now, I think, a scope for an even bigger visitor base, which is no harm at all to the exhibition itself and to the attendees and visitors. Now, the new deadline, I think, creates the opportunity to co-locate these events as well with one of 19 Group's other market-leading shows, namely the Emergency Services Show. Now, this is quite important to our audience, our core audience of fire and uh, security professionals. It's the largest event focused on the protection of people, places and assets, of course, and it's a subject that's now certain to be a regular item and very much should be a regular item for discussion on the agenda in every UK boardroom. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's so unfortunate what's happened here. Obviously, primarily our thoughts have to go out to anyone that's, you know, uh, caught COVID-19 or suffered any loss through it. It's dreadful. Then you look at the economic aspects, Brian, and, and they've been brutal. Now look at us all now. We're all working from home, most of us, apart from the great people in the in the public services that are they're doing what they can as key workers. But no, no one foresaw this. No one wanted this to happen. And, and you know, as you know, I, I curate the content, and FSM curates the content for the fire safety event. We have a great lineup of speakers already 
plan for that. And of course, you know, had to move everything to September. So, you know, my my heart really goes out to anyone that was exhibiting or planning to attend um, and to the organisers of, of both the Fire State event, Security event and of course, you know, FireX and, and IFSEC. But, you know, as you talked about, the Fire Safety event is a security event. Now it's co-located with the Emergency Services Show. You know, that'll offer a, a really unique proposition. And, um, you know, September's going to be a busy month, isn't it, my friend? It's going to be a very busy month for everybody. So uh, I'm sure everyone that's pre-registered for the April show, now it's been moved to September at the NEC, I'm sure everyone will be chomping the bit to get out and, and to be there. So, Brian, um, I've also had a couple of news stories that have caught my eye this week that I wanted to go over with you, if that's all right. Um, one of the things that really caught my eye was um, the new building safety funds being announced in the budget. So the new Chancellor Exchequer has uh, done his first budget last month and he's actually created one billion pounds worth of extra funding for what is a new building safety fund. This is something that the National Fire Chiefs Council have been calling for since Grenfell Tower Fire to be honest and Previously, the government spent over 200 million to remove cladding from privately owned buildings. Now, the NFCC says this was a step in the right direction, but it didn't go far enough. So actually, as part of this one billion extra fund, there's an additional 20 million of funding for the fire service who will assist in carrying out vital inspections and enforcement work um, in this area. So and another person who's back to this is uh, Sir Martin Moore-Bick, who, of course, uh, is chairing the independent Grenfell Tower inquiry. So quite big news there. Um, and this obviously came out before COVID-19, but one billion of extra funding, which will see effectively that's really going to be used to remove cladding from every private and social residential building above 18 metres high. So quite big news. And, you know, Brian, you and I both separately have covered the Grenfell Tower tragedy. And uh, again, you look back to a few years back and um, cladding, um, catching fire and causing mass fatalities was not something that was really in the radar, was it? Unfortunately, it took a, a terrible tragedy for for this to happen and you know the government's still fighting through this. Don't, don't know what your take on it is. Well the Grenfell Tower episode is 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 huge news and it has been since it uh, took place Mark. It's a very un, very unfortunate episode obviously. Um, I think what will come out of that eventually is, is, is um, quite some way off I suspect in terms of the, uh, the well the first phase of the inquiry obviously is, is concluded now and there are, there are various findings from that. I'll allude to those when we come to our, our latest story on this podcast about the fire safety bill. Yeah, and, you know, the second story, you know, my last one that caught my eyes um, comes from BAFE. BAFE have uh, launched a new campaign, which is called Don't Just Specify, Verify. The, the new campaign, um, they say, uh, is to inform premises management and the public that specifying third-party certification is only part of the process in acting with due diligence. The campaign points out that the important second and sometimes overlooked verification stage when specifying and sourcing a third-party certificated provider to help comply with fire safety legislation. You know, obviously, I'm very familiar with BAFE, um, and, and this is a big campaign big campaign for them. You know, if you talk to Stephen Adams, the chief executive, and the press release they put out, he's very adamant, the BAFE very adamant, you wouldn't use an unregistered gas engineer, so why would you use fire safety requirements to be treated any differently? One thing this country doesn't have is a, is a fire safety register compared to you know the gas safety register or or corgi so 
I know from sitting on the fire sector federation meetings that competency and third party certification is a, is a really hot topic at the moment. So, yeah, this this one really caught my eye, and and it's something that post Grenfell, post the Dame Judith Hackett report is really coming to the forefront now, Brian. So I think it's certainly one that we've got to keep an eye on. I'm pretty sure down the line we'll probably uh, ask Bafe to be uh, one of the one of the guests on the podcast moving forwards. But but for those that don't know, UCAS accredited third party certification within the fire industry at present is completely voluntary. So this means that any provider who holds this has taken intentional steps to gain independently assessed certification, demonstrated their competency. So again, it's a voluntary situation. It's, it's not something that's mandatory. And, you know, BAFE are, are very big on, on pushing this forward. So I think this is definitely one that we need to keep an eye on. It could be an area for discussion, actually, going forward, Mark. You know, mandatory versus voluntary. From my perspective, I think that's quite a key issue. And we should discuss that, I think, in a future podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So I know that you've um, had another news story that's caught your eye. So, Brian, when you fire away, what are the other ones that caught your eye today? Yes, Mark, I mentioned the fire safety bill just recently announced by the government. It's very big news. It's come out from the Home Office uh, parliamentary bill, primarily designed to improve fire safety in buildings right across uh, England and Wales. Um, it's really designed, again, to alluding to a previous topic, designed to ensure that episodes like the Grenfell Tower blaze uh, never happen again, which uh, is what, something we all want, really. The bill will amend the Fire Safety Order 2005 to clarify the responsible person or duty holder multi-occupancy residential buildings must manage and reduce the risk of fire for the structure and external walls of the building. That's including things like, as we discussed, cladding, for example, balconies and window areas. Um, I think, in essence, such clarification will empower fire and rescue services across the country to take enforcement action and hold building owners to account if they're not compliant, which is a very important issue, of course. I think, uh, in the wider sense, this is probably proves positive that the government remains firmly committed to implementing the recommendations made in the wake of phase one of the Grenfell Tower inquiry. I think, indeed, the, uh, the bill affords a, re- a foundation for secondary legislation to take forward recommendations from the phase one report itself, which is obviously quite detailed, uh, and states that building owners and managers of high-rise and multi-occupied uh, residential buildings should be responsible for a number of areas, including regular inspections of lifts, of course, uh, ensuring the evacuation plans are reviewed and regularly updated, which is of prime importance, and also ensuring fire safety instructions are provided to residents in a form that they can reasonably be expected to understand, which is a key issue. Um, importantly, the bill is supported by the National Fire Chiefs Council, among others, uh, and the, the NFCC has been calling for this for additional powers since 2017, in fact. Um, and the interesting notes uh, for this podcast, we've spoken at uh, length on this matter uh, with Warren Spencer. Here's, here's what he had to say on the piece. Delighted now to be joined by Warren Spencer. Uh, Warren is a long-time columnist of Fire Safety Matters and also the managing director of Blackhurst Bud Solicitors. In fact, Warren's prosecuted more cases than anybody else under the Fire Safety Order. So who better placed for us to have as uh, our first guest to talk about the current consultation on the Fire Safety Order's than Warren Spencer. Good morning, Warren. Morning, Mark. So, Warren, let's get straight into this. Um, so, what are your views on the potential changes to the fire safety order? Can you talk us through what the government have done so far and what the likely outcomes that you think could be from it? Well, the fire safety bill that has been published so far deals with clarification in relation to premises and, in particular, fire doors and the structure of premises. 
really in relation to fire separation and fire spread. That comes about due to the confusion with the fire safety order not applying to domestic premises. So in purpose-built flats or in any type of HMO situation, there's always been confusion as to whether the flat door is covered by the order because the flat door is part of the domestic premises. So responsible persons have said the fire safety order doesn't apply. Uh, in fact, the fire safety order at the present time um, applies to the people responsible for that fire door and applies to the flat owner because they've got control over part of the escape route. So the, the recent bill clarifies that position. Uh, I think it also goes some way towards dealing with the fact that the fire safety order does not specifically deal with fire separation and compartmentation, the requirement of compartmentation within premises. So now it's very clear that the structure of the premises is covered by the order. So structure which allows for spread of fire, smoke, noxious gases um, is now clearly defined uh, under Article 6 uh, with the Fire Safety Bill. So we were talking, uh, Brian and I, earlier about the new Fire Safety Bill. Just for clarity for people that don't understand, the new Fire Safety Bill is not going to replace the Fire Safety Order, but in fact it amends it. Are we correct in saying that? Yes, it amends, I think at the present point, it amends Article 6 uh, in relation to the definition of domestic, well, the definition of, of certain things under the order, in, in particular uh, domestic premises um, and what, what, where the order applies in relation to uh, single private dwelling, etc. So you've prosecuted well over 100 cases under the fire safety order. Um have you been involved in any of the consultation or given any feedback to the government on this before um, this is brought into Parliament? Not at this point. No, no, we've not had anything to do at this point. I, I gave um, my opinions in relation to the corporate evidence as to where I thought the order needed amending. Um, my, my concerns are strictly legal concerns with respect to the order rather than kind of industry um, concerns in relation to the application of the order. So, obviously, there was a call for evidence on this. Can you talk us through what the next steps for the bill are? Because, you know, this isn't law yet. So can you talk us through um, what the likely process is for anyone that uh, hasn't kept up to speed with it? So the bill is kind of the first draft of the amendments. There, The rest of the bill is being considered for review and that's going to carry on through the spring and they're going to take account of the call for evidence and the responses therein. And it's, it's with the Home Office, as far as I'm aware at the moment, to, to look at various other aspects of the order. So, as we said, with the amount of cases that, that, that you've prosecuted, from from a legal perspective... What are some areas that you would like to see change to the fire safety order? What, what, what do you think some necessary modifications would be? Well, there's still some area for improvement, I think, in the definition of single private dwelling. Um, this is a concern in supported living areas where someone might own their own home but have carers in, in 24 hours a day, or it may be a supported living provider providing 
accommodation for one, two or three people with disabilities and they live in those premises as, a, as their own home and therefore there is confusion there as to whether that is a single private dwelling and whether or not that's covered by the order. I know the fire services have concerns with that because they will go into these premises and see that people have got issues with escape and in particular uh, whose responsibility is it to get them out of the premises if there are carers involved or if, if there are carers involved at certain times of the day and so there's confusion there so I think in respect of the private single private dwelling definition there's still room for improvement there um, the other areas that, that, that are, I think the most prominent concern with the court for evidence and then certainly most concerns that I have is in relation to the definition of the responsible person and persons with control, which dealt with under Article 3 and 5 of the order. There is confusion because I think it's it's not clear whose, whose responsibilities are whose when there are a number of people whose responsibilities for premises. Uh, and, and the order is drafted in a way which I think helps to create confusion by creating a... a phrase the responsible person outlining duties of the responsible person and then in a subsection of paragraph five outlines that persons with control have those same duties but that's kind of hidden uh, and um, the order doesn't deal with the culpability of those persons in any different way than the responsible person so again I, I think the article five aspect of the order has taken on equal significance to Article 3, yet everybody still makes a big fuss about who the responsible person is, when in fact there are numerous people that have control and fire safety management responsibilities in respect to premises who are equally culpable under the order, and that's not made clear, and my view is that that needs amending. So when we would it be fair to say that, that you welcome the government um, trying to bring in the uh, fire safety bill and I guess a follow-up question to that is based on the concerns you just outlined do you still think in its current state that the fire safety order is fit for purpose in um, you know in modern society? I think yeah in answer to your second question it's fit for purpose but it needs fine-tuning it's now over 13 years since the fire safety order came into being and in that time, technologies changed, and buildings have changed, and the use of the building have changed. And so it's right that the order should be looked at again so long after it first came into effect. The, the other aspect, which is strange and unique to the fire safety order, is that there's no case law in the interpretation of the fire safety order because people haven't taken cases to the Court of Appeal to clarify the meaning of certain articles. So where in usual areas of law there would be case law explaining what the courts believe the government's intention were in the drafting of the legislation, that hasn't happened with the fire safety order for various reasons, um, but there is no case law to explain the legal meanings, therefore I think it's incumbent um, to clarify certain things which by now are apparent uh, that, that need refining. Um, so there are other areas to the order that, that I have concerns with. Um, Article 12, process risk, there's a, a crossover between the um, Health and Safety at Work Act and 
a fire safety order in relation to uh, various explosive substances. There's issues with Article 18, whether or not it should apply to fire risk assessors. It doesn't at the present time. The guidance says um, apply to fire risk assessors, yet a number of fire risk assessors are being prosecuted. Um, Articles 19 and 21, in the, in the way that they deal with the employee and the employer relationship, that needs clarifying because a lot of institutions are now creating administrative-only employer situations where the company set up simply to pay wages and therefore does not have control of the workplace, which is a significant part of the definition of a responsible person um, in, in Article 3. So, and in particular... Uh, Article 22, cooperation and coordination. Uh, and if anything can be learned uh, from Grenfell, it's the cooperation and coordination between those with fire risk management responsibilities in respect to premises is not what it should be. And that's certainly my experience. Um, cooperation and coordination in, in respect of Article 22 needs to be looked at and brought, um, brought forward as a, as a more important part of the order. And then there are um, other aspects of Article 27, the powers of it. Investigating officers need clarifying the sentences can be improved because they're summary only matters, so they're limited at this point to fine only. And, it, and I would significantly, I would say, two year maximum in respect of um, the sentencing guidelines, two years is just not enough in respect of a fatality, for example, where a guilty plea would lead to a third off in sentence, which means 16 months for someone who's. Uh, emissions or acts have led to the death of a person. So it'd be remiss of us not to say that one of the key discussions that have been on this first ever version of the FSM podcast is the fact that we're emanating from our own homes right now due to the COVID-19 virus. How how has it affected um, your business? Are you still in court? Um, are you still representing clients? Uh, how has the pandemic affected you and your business? Still representing clients, certainly the court process has been significantly affected. Uh, first of all, trials were reduced to three days. The trials that were three days or less, and now trials are pretty much um, put on hold. Uh, most court hearings are now video link hearings, so they come with their own difficulties. But yeah, actually people go home and seem to sometimes want to deal with their legal problems and still... Um, calling us, our phone lines are still busy, but most of our well, most of our staff uh, are at home. Um, we're keeping a reception open. As far as uh, sitting as a judge is concerned, that, that's different. That's completely by phone, um, and that brings with it again, as I said, its own difficulties. But still going on. But things are beginning to slow up. Uh, certainly towards the end of last week, um, demand over the phone was a lot less than it had been in the previous ten days. Well, thanks for your time today, Warren. I'm delighted to reveal to everybody now that Warren's actually going to be a recurring guest. Uh, we do the FSM podcast every fortnight, and Warren's going to be our guest after the news headlines to give an analysis on the latest prosecutions and keep us informed on everything legal in terms of the fire safety bill and the fire safety order. So, Warren, uh, in the meantime, uh, how can people get in touch with you? Okay, well, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I've got a number of connections on LinkedIn and post articles on there regularly. I'm on Twitter at Fire Safety Law. I have an email address, wps at blackhurstbud.co.uk and the Blackhurstbud website. And also via the Fire Safety Law 
www.fiveseconds.co.uk website itself. Well, that was obviously quite an in-depth look at the new fire safety bill and, of course, the fire safety order by Warren. And as I said, Warren's going to be back with us um, with every episode of the podcast, giving effectively some really good legal advice. So, Brian, can you tell our listeners how they can actually pose their questions to Warren, starting with our next podcast in a fortnight's time? The best way is through social media, Mark. I think if they use our Twitter platform and particularly use the hashtag FSM podcast to send us their questions and we can address those to Warren. Yeah, that's definitely the way to get involved. We're trying to be as indirect as we can through social media. So, yeah, as Brian said, hashtag FSM podcast is the way to get your questions into Warren Hill. Effectively, they're giving some you know really good free legal advice and nothing's normally free in law with solicitors. So uh, we'd urge you guys to get your questions in. Now, Brian, we've got one more feature interview today. Can you, can you uh, tell us a bit more about who we're interviewing it and about this segment, how people can get involved with it moving forwards? Yes, we're interviewing Paul Pope, uh, Mark, on the manufacturing side of the industry. And, Brian, it's the same format, isn't it? Because moving forwards, I think what we've said is we want to use this segment of interviewing manufacturers to get questions from installers or from fire safety managers or consultants, questions that you know you guys have got in terms of you know relevant equipment, is it suitable for your premises or any questions that you've got. So how again can people get their questions in for the next interview we're doing in a fortnight? Again, they can go onto Twitter and use the hashtag FSM podcast. I'd also urge uh, our readers to follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter platform for Fire Safety Matters is at FSMatters underscore M-A-G. So earlier on today, I called up with Paul Pope, who's uh, fresh in post at Global Fire Equipment. And here's what Paul had to say. Delighted to be joined now by Paul Pope, who's the Group Business Development Director of Global Fire Equipment, which is part of the GFE group. Paul's also a director of the Fire Industry Association. So, Paul, congratulations on the new role. How are you holding up? Thank you, Mark. Um, yeah, very well, thank you. So, what we do in this segment, this is a weekly segment we have from now on on the FSM podcast, is where our listeners get the chance to send in a number of questions. But obviously, this is the first one. I thought I'd put you under the microscope myself, if that's all right, Paul. So, I've got a number of questions for you. Um, so, if we, if we start off... So why did you join Global Fire Equipment and, and what's your plans for the company? Um, well, the timing seemed perfect. Um, I was ready for a new challenge and uh, here was an opportunity where I could, felt I could lead the company into its next phase of its history. Um, Global Fire is a fast moving uh, company and their plans to grow even faster with new products, increasing their international sales. Uh, particularly in the UK, where we'll be targeting some new products, which I think could get the whole sector uh, talking about that. Um, my role there is to basically look after the international sales, marketing, product management, and also the business development side of, the, of our uh, growth strategy. From what you told me when you were joining, you've got quite an exciting product pipeline, which will be of interest to our listeners and readers of Fire Safety Matters. Could you tell us a bit more of what's in the product pipeline at the moment or what's fresh out? Yeah, well, we, we've got a, an emergency lighting business as well. And um, there's quite a lot in the R&D side of integration. I can't give too much away just yet. But what I can say is that we're releasing a series of new products over the next 12 to 18 months um, based on the investment and uh, excellent R&D center we have, and also the uh, complete manufacturing facility uh, of Global Fire. 
So, um, yeah. Sorry, I can mention that we also developed a range of new uh, addressable control panels, which have been specifically designed to meet the demands of highly sophisticated network systems. And also we'll be bringing a low range out for competitively priced smaller systems. Um, and these are an, under launch now. So Global's been around for a while, the Global Fire Equipment brand. So can you talk to us about some of the bigger projects that perhaps our listeners could relate to? Because our readers in, um, you know, look after facilities such as Birmingham Airport and massive shopping centres. Is, is there anything that you can talk about, some case studies and big projects that Global Fire Equipment have worked on? Yeah, well, Global Global Fire is in over 90 countries worldwide and we've done very well all sectors of the projects. I mean, um, hotels, we've done the Washington Hotel in London, airports in Russia, Brazil, Turkey, um, hospitals, St George's Hospital in the UK, um, some financial institutions such as the Madrid Stock Exchange and many retail outlets in the UK, your high streets, um, we're specified on a number of high street retailers. So also part of our uh, audience is installers. Is there anything that you would want to help enlighten the installer audience on to do with Global Fire Equipment products? Well, yeah, the installers are key. We design products to be uh, very installer friendly. I mean, Global Fire is an excellent European manufacturing company conforming with all the EM54 EU CPR certifications. Um, but we are driven for passion and reliability. So installers love reliability and also competitive pricing. Um, you know, Global is entirely EU based and develops a complete system. So um, that's really what we, we can offer the installer is everything from one one place, really. So obviously um, we're talking to each other right now from home because like everybody, we've been affected by the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. What effect has ha had on Global Fire Equipment and your business? Well, like all businesses, um, we are in unprecedented trading conditions, but I have to say that production um, under the regulations of the, uh, are going very well in, and we can um, only carry on under the guidelines that have been given to us. And um, all I can say is it's how frustrating it's been to start an exciting job but uh, cannot truly get stuck in because everyone like I am, is stuck from home and cannot travel. Um, but this is really insignificant to the challenges and sacrifices being made across Europe and indeed the world. Um, I really, you know, it's, it's, it's really the important thing is, is to get through this time and to make sure that the people are, who are fighting this for us, that frontline NHS, uh, those are the, the most important people at the moment, is um, looking after, you know, all of our lives in, in hospitals that's that's really sad and i hope and then i pray that um they they can ride this through and, and come through the other side safely as well well you touched on something there talking about key workers of course uh with another hat on you're a director of the fire industry association and of course the fia yes. has successfully lobbied um for uh the fire sector to be considered as key workers at the moment can you tell us a bit more about what your role at the fia involves um, well, a number of roles within the FIA. I've been involved with the FIA for over 20 years, and um, I'm sort of chairman of the FDNA Fire Detection and Alarms Committee. So heavily involved with um, UK standards and European standards, and also, you know, helping 
um, companies um, get the best out of the, the FIA. Um, uh, my role within um, the FIA as a director uh, was a number of portfolios. One, first and foremost, was the environmental portfolio, so covering off all environmental subjects that the industry is facing. And the second one, which is just a recent appointment, is for liaison. Um, this is to liaise with government um, and other influencing sectors to make sure that uh, key issues um, um, are, are tackled. Uh, and the board are very keen on tackling key issues. Things like um, competency, training, um, an outcome of the inquiry for Grenfell, and also things like the key worker status for them. You know, these are the types of things that the FIA gets involved with and fights on behalf of its membership. So, Paul, just finishing off, how can people find out more information about Global Fire Equipment? How can they get in touch with you? Well, they can go to the Global Fire website. Um, we've got international presence. Um, there are a number of um, places to get hold of us. But, yeah, if anyone um, wants anything, um, they can contact us, in, certainly in the UK, through Global Fire Equipment Limited, or contact me directly. Um, you know, I'm happy to uh, find me on LinkedIn or something like that. That's the end of this inaugural Fire Safety Matters podcast. You can read more on these issues and others by visiting the Fire Safety Matters website at www.fsmatters.com. We do hope you've enjoyed the content and found it useful. Please do contact us if there are any particular themes or issues you would like us to explore in upcoming broadcasts. Speaking of which, on the next podcast, we'll be talking to Salvi Bitozzi, the Regional Sales Manager at Apollo Fire Detectors, as well as Warren Spencer. We'll see you then.